Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. The podcast are not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T-Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the co-founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast. We tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, and Packers, and you can find the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. Today, I am joined with good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. And we're here to recap the MLB draft, all five rounds. So we're going to break this up into two parts. We'll cover rounds one and two today, and then rounds three through five we'll be releasing on Wednesday this week. Before we get to all that, Trevor, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm had a good weekend. It's been a nice, solid weekend. I brewed some beer yesterday. Um, excited for that. I brewed a half of ice, and this is my own take on it. I've done one of these before, but it was in like a recipe kit, and this is my own making, so I'm excited for that. Um, and I got a nice, nice cold beer with me. It's another. I found it at the grocery store with my girlfriend this morning. She had to buy it just because it has. Of this little penguin holding a hoe and some wheat in its hand so she <laughs> instantly needed to buy it so it, it's pretty good it's pretty good can't complain you know i can't blame her because i've bought plenty of beers off of looks too thinking of like fantasy factory rad cats um that one with the gave me once upon a time so uh no shame whatsoever they definitely help you buy more beer <laughs> yeah definitely and and it, it's a good beer, so on top of it looking cool, it, it tastes pretty good, too. There you go. Double win. So can't argue with those results. <laughs> Speaking of results, that's a good transition to the MLB draft. Um, it was actually a really cool draft this year. I somewhat pay attention in years previous, not going to lie. Um, but this year, with it being all over the place and no baseball being played, I, I felt like the fan base was all over the draft. So it was very cool to interact with lots of other people. And as you know, we're here to recap kind of what went on in the first two rounds on this podcast here today. But before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit of strategy with you because the Brewers selected five players with either strong hit tools or were just super fast guys, super athletic, um, kind of what you think like the Packers do where they take athletes. So it's the first time since 2003 the Brewers had actually taken five position players in the first five rounds. Now granted this year there was only five rounds, but do you have any thoughts on that, Trevor? Do you think they should have t- took any pitchers or what do you think their overall strategy was here? I understand what Stearns was going for, you know, getting those players that, like you said, whether they have 
really strong hit tool or they are just a really fast player in general. I I understand the concept behind that. I personally would have liked to see a pitcher taken. And when it's five rounds, I mean, in comparison to normal uh, MLB drafts, this is early in the draft. So I feel like a pitcher in one of these rounds, at least one pitcher in one of these rounds would have been a good call. But you also, like in the first round, you can't blame David Stearns and the Brewers for taking Garrett Mitchell. Um, as MLB Pipeline has him ranked as the sixth prospect in this draft. So getting him at 20, that makes a lot of sense, and you can't fault them for that. Um, but I would have liked to see a pitcher, but I understand kind of their strategy and what they were doing, just trying to get those guys that, like David Gasper said, that's kind of their thing. They like to get guys that can hit, and they'll figure out the defense part of it later. Like he said with uh, Keston... And he mentioned some other guys on whatever podcast that was a few weeks ago. So I, I get the strategy, even though I would have preferred to see at least one pitcher in there just because of I feel like that's something you need to constantly kind of revamp and get new guys in there. And even on a shortened draft, I felt like it would have been important to do that. But I understand the way that they did go. Yeah, and obviously it has the comps to the 2003 draft, like I mentioned, and that was Ricky Weeks was taken round one that year, Tony Gwynn round two, and they were the only two out of the top five to make it to the MLB out of that draft class. The rest of the players were taken in rounds 12, 16, 19, and 24. So obviously we'll never know um, what that would have been like this year, but yeah, a lot of people seemed maybe just a little bit of like, why didn't they take pitchers? And Todd Johnson said after the draft, we had our eyes on some guys, but I think they felt better off taking the hitters. And I mean, it's okay. You look at last year's draft, we took three left-handed pitchers in the first five rounds. So, you know, taking five hitters here, I don't think's unheard of. And everyone's like, oh, you know, it's more outfielders and already have a good outfield. But that's not just what the draft's about. I mean, it's trying to restock the minor league system and obviously getting the sixth ranked prospect at pick number 20 is definitely, definitely going to help with that. So with that, let's transition into Garrett Mitchell, who we kind of hinted at here first, and let's listen to a little soundbite on him first. With the 20th pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Milwaukee Brewers select Garrett Mitchell, an outfielder from UCLA. The St. Louis Cardinals have the next pick. If I'm a Brewer fan, you got to be fired up for this guy. MLB.com ranked him the sixth overall player in this draft class. Might have the best collection of tools of anyone that we're talking about tonight. He broke out in 2019, his sophomore year, hit around 350, OPS just under 1,000, 18 steals in 62 games. He didn't play at all uh, last summer in the fall due to a, a last summer for or fall due to a leg injury. Uh, returned healthy this spring, hit 355 in 15 games. Now, he's shown massive power in batting practice, but it hasn't translated into games yet. And, and Garrett Mitchell, on this night, gets drafted 20th overall by the Milwaukee Brewers. All right. So, Garrett Mitchell, he is obviously a 21-year-old outfielder. He hits left-handed and throws from the right side. 
as we mentioned, he fell quite a bit to the 20th pick, and I'm sure that probably has some people maybe a little bit like, well, why why did he fall? And a lot of it has to deal with him just kind of not putting everything together in games. His biggest knock is power. They say in batting practice he has huge, huge power, but it just never shows up in games. I mean, he only has six career home runs at UCLA through three seasons, or well, two full seasons, and then whatever he got in in 2020. But Obviously, power is the biggest knock, but he has improved his draft stock over the year. He was originally drafted in the 14th round out of high school by Oakland and got into the first round category. So he is now the highest position player drafted since Chase Utley in 2000. So congrats to Garrett Mitchell for that. At UCLA, his career slash line was 327, 393, 478, so he obviously knows how to get on base. In fact, in 2019, he recorded 90 hits, which was tied for 15th best in the nation, and then he averaged 1.45 hits per game, which is good for 5th in the nation. The top of being able to hit, he can also steal bases. He is incredibly fast. I've seen some people say he is an 80-grade speed tool, which obviously helps him on the bases and also helps him in, uh, in the out field where he can play just about anywhere but scouts kind of believe he's going to be able to stick at center field so trevor what were your thoughts on the pitch were you are on the pick were you surprised he fell this far and glad we took him yes to both of those at first when i saw the selection i wasn't really expecting it because honestly i wasn't able to watch the draft um because i knew my parents wouldn't do that Um, And I was at home for the weekend, so I had it up on my phone and watching on there, just updating it when I could. And when I saw the name, I at first was like, wait, wasn't he a top 10? And I think we might have talked about him briefly um, with David Gasper a few weeks ago. But I was once I kind of looked more into him, I am super excited Um, about what he's going to be able to bring. I saw something on Bleacher Report a couple days after the draft about the now after the draft, what the whole league's kind of minor league systems look like, and they ranked them. Brewers are still struggling in that regard. They They were ranked 28th out of 30, so still not very good. But on their list of top 10 prospects, Garrett Mitchell was number one over Bryce Terang. So they have a lot of high hope for him, and he's the now the number one prospect in the system, which is exciting in itself, and I, I can't wait to be able to see him play some baseball. And I am just very, very excited because having that 80 overall um, on the speed tool is huge. His hit tool is solid. I believe it's at 60 and that's a solid number. Um, and just all around, he's pretty good. And I think his fielding's at 50, which kind of surprises me. Uh, because in that soundbite, you know, they said he's going to stick at center field. And I know some of that has to do with his his speed. But I, I just feel like he, I haven't watched him. I'm not going to pretend like I have. But I just feel like with that speed, that fielding grade should be a little bit higher and I feel like that is not going to be his downfall even though that was or I believe is his lowest graded tool Um, but I am just super excited to what we're going to get out of Garrett Mitchell and hopefully we get to see him fairly soon Um, 
once we get baseball back. <laughs> I agree. It's crazy how on draft day you can automatically go to the top ranked prospect. But I mean, it makes sense in in the Brewers minor league system where you there isn't a whole lot of talent that is in there. So I think that's why getting him was was key. And I know I know the draft isn't about like replacing players who are going to contribute at the major league level. It's not like the NBA or the NFL. Um, but honestly, like you can't tell me the thought went through your head like Garrett Mitchell might be the exception with Lorenzo Cain, right? Cain's got yeah. two, maybe three years, if I remember correctly, on his contract left, and he's getting up there in age. And I mean, you can kind of comp. Garrett Mitchell to Lorenzo Cain a little bit. He makes really, really good contact. Um, uh, probably a lot faster than Lorenzo Cain is. Um, I, he's probably more similar like Billy Hamilton in speed. But he could be a replacement for Lorenzo Cain in the future. I don't think that's out of the question at all. Yeah, and that those timelines kind of mesh up well because you think first-round player, his power isn't refined yet, like you said earlier, but... His hit tool is pretty good. He's got wait, like elite, elite level speed. I just feel like, you know, two, three years left on Lorenzo's deal. I feel like in two to three years, he could get up there. And maybe there might be a little bit of a, like a Ben Gamble type that just has to kind of fill in the spot for a half a year or a year till Mitchell's ready. Um, but... I do feel like that is a definitely something that could happen with him because, like I said, the timelines match up well. With this season being in flux and he's not going to get any sort of minor league season this year, which is going to hurt his development. Obviously, we've talked about this the past however many weeks, um, but I do think the timelines add up pretty well and you can afford to have kind of a low-level free agent signing for a year until you feel comfortable with Mitchell coming up to the MLB, and then it could be a nice, smooth transition into him, and that'll be fun to have him next to uh, Christian Yelich in the in the outfield, and, you know, Garrett Mitchell, Keston, then Yelich, or Yelich, then Keston. Like, that sounds like a fun, fun top three in your lineup. Yeah, it absolutely does, and... Yeah, no minor league season definitely hurts, but I think this is one guy next year, spring training, who will definitely get an invite to big league camp, so that'll at least be good for him, and even if he sticks around in the minors all of next year, um, while Lorenzo's hopefully still balling out, I mean, that's good. Bring him up when he's 23 years old, and getting ready to hit his prime, start getting some big league experience, I, I think that's a really ideal timeline, and you know, obviously, I think there are still some people thinking, well, you know, will the power translate? You know, we'll see. It. I don't think it's kind of hard to predict, but the speed is there. He has good gap power. I mean, he had 24 doubles at UCLA, 15 triples. 12 of them came in one year alone, which is a, a single season record. Can, so, Can you imagine that in Miller Park? He hits oh. one to you know, whatever you'd call that right center or left center, even though it's, I don't think it's truly right center or left center and hit those walls. He might get some inside the parkers if he hits it off that wall in center field where the weird angles are. I just feel like that's what Miller park was made for was triples. And a guy that had 12 of them in one year and 15 over his college career, we might be seeing a few more triples in inside the parkers with this guy. Once he's able to get up to the major league level. 
Oh gosh, yeah. And those are those are exciting plays to witness. So the little triples alley there could definitely be a benefit to him. Yeah, he, and, uh, and for him, it's going to turn into home run alley. <laughs> because that that is how fast he is. When Tyler says Billy Hamilton, that that is his speed. Like it is, his numbers are crazy. He is crazy fast. I watched. It was a clip on Twitter. I swear I rewatched it like 15 times of him just running to first. It was so fast. It it is absolutely incredible. His speed is it. It is absolutely eye popping. And and the guy can dance. So. <laughs> I've been trying to recreate that dance all weekend, and my body doesn't move like that. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please tape yourself doing that so we can see that? We'll do a side-by-side, his video and your video. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way for me to get famous. (laughs) (laughs) The wrong kind of famous, but yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'll think about it. I'm all for embarrassing myself, so I wouldn't rule it out. (laughs) (laughs) So I will say, I mean, he did fall, obviously. Do you have any concerns that maybe he doesn't pan out? Like, think back, painful Brewer memories, like Lewis Brinson was a first-round pick in 2012, never panned out. Obviously, it was good, good trade bait to get Christian Yelich. Uh, some people have given up on Corey Ray, who was a 2016 first-round pick. I guess both of, both of those guys are outfielders and highly regarded in the systems at various points in their careers uh but any doubt at all by you uh no none at all because i think at a baseline once he gets to the major leagues i think he's gonna be you know the billy hamilton type so yeah you you might consider that a bust because billy hamilton isn't like a great player but he does stuff for you he can play some defense he can get you extra bases by stealing like I don't think he'll be a complete bust, and I think he will make it to the majors and at the very least do that type. But I also feel like his hit tool is good enough where he's going to be, even if he doesn't realize his power his entire career, which he has, he just hasn't been able to do it in games quite as much. But if he isn't able to do that in games like he has throughout his college career, then he's a slightly less powerful Lorenzo Kane to me, like you said earlier. Like, you don't see quite the pop, but if you don't strike out and you just get the ball in play and you're fast, I mean, that, that feels like enough for me. And you can hold your own in center field. Like, you, don't, you want your first-round players to pop, but it's the MLB. Like, there's 40 rounds for a reason. You find Brandon Woodruff in the 31st or wherever we got him. Like, there's, there's a reason why these drafts are so long and you just don't know and you want your first-round players to pop, but... That is not always the case, but I do feel like his floor is fairly big with his just his speed, fielding, and hit. I just feel like he's going to get on base a lot, and he's going to be able to make things happen for you on the bases as well as in the field. Absolutely. Yes, so definitely an A grade for the Brewers in round one. I don't think there's any question about that. Round two, on the other hand, um, another good pick. We're going to transition to shortstop Freddie Zamora. We'll listen to a little soundbite on him here. At his best, Zamora has the skill set to be an everyday player at a premium position. He can be a plus defender at times with a lot of body control, range, and wingspan at his disposal to go along with an easily plus arm. He's made strides at the plate to make him a more well-rounded player. He's very short to the ball with a contact-oriented approach that makes him tough to strike out. 
and he started showing more extra base pop during his sophomore year, though he did tail off at the end of the year. Zamora is an average runner, especially once underway, and he's shown the ability to steal bases, though he was nursing a hamstring injury this fall. He can play with the low motor at times, but with his overall skill set, he should easily go in the top two rounds. All right, so he's a 21-year-old shortstop who hits and throws right-handed. He was the 100th-ranked prospect on MLB Pipeline. The Brewers selected him at 53. So you might be wondering what made the Brewers kind of want to jump up and reach for him a little bit. In his first two seasons at Miami, he had batting averages just above and just below 300, and on base percentage around 380, a mid-400 slugging percentage, and a career 820 OPS. He does not strike out much, but he also doesn't hit much for power. He has average to good speed, including 33 stolen bases in his two years of playing time at Miami. He is more known for his glove, more so than his offense. He's displayed excellent body control, range, and a very good arm on the defensive side. The only knock for him is he has a knock for taking plays off or getting lazy on those more routine-like plays. And then last year at Miami, he was unable to play in the shortened season because he was initially suspended for violating team rules, which I have now heard was skipping class. So nothing nothing too serious. Everyone skips class. <laughs> uh, but then he did suffer a torn ACL in practice trying to beat out a grounder. Um, so I believe what I heard, we used, he's three or four months out from that. So he's working his way back to full action. But According to Robert Murray on Twitter, he was once considered a top 10 potential pick, but the injury and then the intangibles, aka the suspension and whatnot, kind of forced him down the draft boards. So what is your initial thought on the pick, Trevor? Well, you uh, explaining him in the beginning of that little blurb on Freddy Zamora, it just sounded like it was another Orlando Arcia. Not saying that he can't do more than Arcia, but... It sounded like a more, a better hitter than Orlando Arcia, but everything else seems the same. Great in the field. Um, I feel like Orlando Arcia boots some routine plays, but makes the great ones. Sounds exactly like you explained with Zamora. His average looks a little better, around 300. You know, three high 380s, low 390s for on base percentage. Like he just sounds like a better hitter version of Orlando Arcia, which if you get this guy who's able to hit 300 but doesn't hit home runs and plays a great shortstop, that is a win. That's another guy you add to that front part of the lineup, and there's four guys with Mitchell, Zamora, and then you also throw in, obviously, Christian Yelich and Keston Hiera. Like that, that seems like a good four. I don't know who you'd put in the four spot. You'd have to probably find someone else for that. Um, for a power bats, because you, I don't think you want Christian Yelich in the four hole. Um, but I do feel like that that could be a good thing, and that could help, you know, have that one side of the middle infield a little bit more secure because Keston isn't a great fielder. But then you also think, you know, Bryce Terang. What does that mean for him? I feel like Bryce Terang's a better prospect, so. We'll see on that, but the fact that you tell me that he was a top 10 player at one time in this injury and skipping class, which I never skipped class, I I, <laughs> I just slept in my classes, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but honestly, an injury 
which he's not even going to play this year anyways because of everything else that's going on in the world. An injury and skipping class, really, ever, like Tyler said, everyone skips class in college if you don't. Have a beer. Have a little bit of fun. And getting him at 53, even though they say he was ranked 100, that doesn't bother me if he was, before the injury, he was a top 10 player in this draft. That that seems like a steal then at that point. Um, the only other thing is, is if that sounds bad and you still think it was a stretch to draft him at 53, just remember what the Red Sox did in the first round. They drafted <laughs> a guy who was ranked 139th at, like, what, 17, whenever they picked in the first round. So... I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good after round one and two of this year's MLB draft. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell the Red Sox were doing, but uh, some scouts can be really nervous in their organization. But <laughs> yeah, I, your comp with Orlando RC I think is actually pretty spot on, and I think what gives me more hope is that. Zamora makes more contact, as you said. I mean, he had a 9.8 strikeout percentage over his two years at Miami, so knows how to make contact and not strike out. You think, like Eric Thames and guys who strike out quite often are closer to 30% in the major leagues. So I'm sure that will increase as as he gets into his professional career, but if you can stick down below 20% mid-teens throughout your career and just put the ball in play, yeah, that's going to be great. Um, you were talking a little bit about the batting order. I, I don't know if I'd see him towards the top. Maybe you kind of use him in the back back end. Um, either, maybe you kind of switch the pitcher if the pitcher is still hitting uh, soon or free to go to universal DH, but kind of use him as that second leadoff, you know, in that eight or nine hole um, to try and get on base that way. But, yeah, I've heard Comp saying he he has the potential to be a 20-20 player, so thinking 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases in years. Um, that's kind of a high upside for him because um, the power is not there. I mean, really, with either one of the first two Brewers picks. But I think the fact everyone can agree he's going to stick at shortstop as long as the mentality's there and he doesn't get lazy on those, on those routine plays as we talked about. Um, He's got all the talent and potential in the world to be a long-lasting shortstop. So, yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about picks one and two as well. Okay, so you say Zamora is going to stick at shortstop. So what if he hits, Bryce Terang hits, what happens? Like, both of these players are, you want them in the major leagues. So what do you do? Can you find a new position for Keston and then have one of... Terang or Zamora go to second base and Keston play left field or something? Would that be a possibility? If all like those two players hit and Keston's still playing extremely well, that seems like a bit optimistic. But what happens if you know Zamora and Bryce Terang both hit and Keston's still playing well? Like, what do you do with those three players at those two positions? That's an interesting question. Um, I guess one thing we won't know if, I mean, if a season does happen this year, they're talking universal DH is widely accepted. And if it stays after this year, who knows? But that could be an option for Keston. But everything I've heard is the Brewers don't want to stick here in the outfield. So I, at this point, I have no reason to believe that they'd want to shift him away from second base. So I think in this situation, either Zamora, Terang, one of them would go over to third base. I mean, they both have good throwing arms and definitely have the strength to get it over there. And I mean, at the worst case, you have now you have a 
a third baseman with a lot of range, right? I mean, that's I was going to say there's not there's not going to be a ball that goes through on the left side of the infield. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So I think that'd be my solution. I mean, otherwise, you see all these highly rated prospects get used for trade bait all the time. So it might not be the best idea to get attached to them either. So that's another option. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping you'd go the other way before you mentioned trade. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I figured that was going to be the first thing you said, just trade them. <laughs> <laughs> now I like these guys too. And I, I like to see them develop and see how they're going to play out. Um, so hopefully we'll get to see some of that this year. At some point I heard the, uh, the other tuggers in was it green Bay or Appleton are starting baseball here pretty soon. Um, hopefully baseball will be back and we'll get to, to see these guys at some point here in 2020. Before before we end the show, um, on I don't know if it was last week's podcast or two weeks ago now, I said about these negotiations that the players and owners just need to find a middle ground and everything. I, I'm off that. I am just saying fuck the owners at this point because it seems like the MLBPA is trying to do something. They're, they're changing their offer and all the owners are doing or the MLB is doing is just changing their offer, but they're not really changing their offer because the end money is the exact same and nothing. They're not willing to change anything. It's like, come on, really? You are multi-million, multi-billion dollar people. Take a hit of a million dollars this year so we can get some fucking baseball. I am sick of the owners and they can just figure this shit out and allow us to watch some baseball because there should be baseball in the beginning of July, and we should have a month of baseball to get some fans on board. Maybe that will help you in the coming years, because right now I saw it on Twitter, the average MLB fan is 57 years old. So what happens in 20 years when you don't get these young people in, like our generation in, and get them to be fans, what happens? There is there not going to be MLB in 20 years because of it? Like You need to take this opportunity to get these young fans invested because they're dying for sports. So figure out something to get a week or two before the MLB start or the NBA starts back up at the end of July, figure something out so we can, so we can get some baseball and hopefully help the longevity of baseball. Because like I said, the average fan is not going down at this point. It's went up like seven years in the last 20. So, the baseball fans are getting older. You need to get younger fans invested, and what you're doing right now is not doing it. Ownership, so unless you're just planning on selling the teams, if you want this to be a worthwhile investment for you, figure your shit out. The owner's stubbornness just needs to stop because, yeah, years to come, it could hurt. And even if there is a season this year and the players just give in to the, the owner's basically BS counter proposals and proposals and or whatever's going on there's a very good chance that there could be a strike in 2021 if they if they treat them how they continue to right now so that is obviously not good for the sport either so stop being stubborn owners help us all out we need baseball back god damn it so let's let's end on that note look for part two of our draft recap coming out on this week wednesday where we'll hit on the remaining three picks but until then we will see you later brewer fans trust in stearns <laughs> <laughs>